Let's stand for the reading of God's word. We're going to be in one of my favorite stories in the gospel of Mark as Jesus descends from the mountain with the disciples only to encounter a father and his son who's possessed by a demon. comes from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 9, verses 14 through 29. And when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them, and the scribes arguing with them. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. And he asked them, what are you arguing about with them? And someone from the crowd answered him, teacher, I brought my son to you. For he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able. And he answered them, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him. And when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy, and he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And it has often cast him into fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible for one who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, you mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out. And the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said, he is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. And when he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Brett. Please be seated. Father, as we open your word, we are desperate for the Holy Spirit always to illuminate these words to cause a transformation to take place in our hearts as, as we hear them and see them. Please, O oh Lord, open our eyes, give us sight, open our ears, enable us to hear, cause our hearts to beat right about what is before us and our minds to think rightly, press these truths deep into us so that we might leave extending your kingdom and that the radiance of Christ would shine brightly in us because of what we've seen and heard. We pray in Jesus' holy name, amen. As we look at the passage this morning, I want to, I want to make three contrasts. I want to talk about the mountain and the valleys. I want to talk about faithlessness and faith, and I want to talk about failure and fruitfulness as we see it in this text. Many of you know that for about 25 years, I served as a youth pastor or a youth director. So I had the great privilege on going on many Florida trips, trips like that, mission trips all over the world. 
I've been on retreats where there were 25 students and on camps and trips where there were 10,000 plus students. I had the privilege of standing and proclaiming Christ many times from the platform as one of the speakers. I also had the privilege of just simply leading groups and letting them hear others teach. But something happened almost every time at the conclusion of the week. Whether it was an MC or the primary speaker, they would stand up and say, almost as a warning to all of those who had a transformative experience, you are now going back in to the real world. This and what you've experienced isn't real. This is great, this is helpful, but it's not real. You're going back into the real world. I even said those things many times because I thought it was important to prepare the students for what was coming until something happened in me where I began to realize that is a terrible thing to say. And the reason it's a terrible thing to say is that the unintended consequences, what I just experienced, wasn't therefore real. The truth is, it's more real. And it's more like what we who are in Christ will experience the rest of our lives. When we gather together and are isolated from noise and distraction, when we're at a place where the truth is being proclaimed and we have opportunity to soak in the word, that is more like what eternity will really be for us. Yet because this side of heaven and the already not yet, there is a real world that's waging war against us. There is an enemy that wants to devour us. We feel the burden to tell students who've just come to Christ, who, who want to grow in Christ, be ready for the real world. Well, here's the truth. There is a mountain and there is a valley. There is an already and a not yet. There is a struggle. But friends, the mountain is real. The experiences that we have where the intimacy with the Lord is made known to us deeper, whether that takes place on a mountain or a beach or in a sanctuary, is real. Don't dismiss it. But so are the valleys. This side of heaven, you have a real enemy that roams around seeking to devour you and to devour your children. And here we have that pictured before us. If you weren't here last week, I preached about the transfiguration of Jesus. Jesus had gone up the mountain with the inner circle of disciples. There's three of them. It's Peter and it's the two sons of thunder, James and John. As they ascend up the mountain, I'm not sure what they were anticipating would happen, but they could never have anticipated what they saw. Before their very eyes, Jesus was transfigured. Up on that mountain, they witnessed Jesus in a conversation with Moses. Moses had never set foot in the promised land. That was, that was the cost of his disobedience until this moment in the transfiguration. Moses' feet are planted in the promised land. Elijah never died. He simply ascended to heaven, and now he's back, and they're communing with Jesus. What a picture, and these three see it. Now contrast that with what they're going to see when they descend down the mountain into the valley. On the mountain, the glory of God is revealed. In the valley, suffering is revealed. On the mountain, the, the light is so radiant. In the valley, it's extremely dark. On the mountain, it's God-dominated. Down in the valley, it's Satan-dominated. 
On the mountain, the heavenly father is pleased with his only son. In the valley, the father is tormented by what's happening to his only son. On the mountain is the perfect son. In the valley is the possessed son. On the mountain, the disciples sit in awe of what they're seeing. Down in the valley, the disciples have experienced failure. On the mountain, there's unity as the Godhead speaks. In the valley, there's debate between the people, including the religious leaders. On the mountain, there's power like they've never seen. And in the valley, there's powerlessness like they had not yet known. The mountain was real. Jesus was really transfigured. And when we have experiences with the intimacy of Christ, whether it's here or on a retreat or in your home, in a small group, in a Bible study, in a Sunday morning community, when you have an experience that truly elevates your heart and mind, that creates a deeper hunger for the Lord, maybe it's a sermon you're listening to, a book you're reading, and you sense God's pleasure and his power, his peace, his presence, that is real. And yes, you'll take that which you've been soaking in back into the real world because the valley is also real. When Jesus descends with the three disciples, it's not unlike when Moses was coming off the, off the mountain. He sees the people in chaos. And what Jesus seeks to highlight in his teaching is faithlessness and faith. When Jesus comes down the mountain, there is an argument that's taking place. Jesus asks in verse 16, what are you arguing about with them? And someone from the crowd answered, teacher, I brought your son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. Now let's look at this deeply. First of all, as Jesus comes down, it's as if nobody's even aware of his presence until they are. And when they are, they suddenly flock to him. The scribes who are the religious teachers are in debate with the disciples. The disciples are dejected. This man brought his son to Jesus. Their answer to him was, Jesus is up the mountain. He's with Peter, James, and John. He then asked the disciples to deliver his son. They have been able to deliver individuals from demons before. In Mark chapter 6, just a couple pages over, listen to what it says. Jesus called the 12 and began to send them out two by two and give them authority over the unclean spirits. Verse 12. So they, the 12, went out and proclaimed that people should repent. Verse 13. And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. So this man probably knew that that had happened. So Jesus isn't present. My son is deeply tormented. There is a demon inside him. Heal him. And they try, but they fail. They had known the power before, but this time the power wasn't present. So instead of someone from the scribes or one of the disciples speaking, when Jesus says, what are you arguing about with them? This man speaks. And friends, he speaks because he's desperate. If you're a parent or a grandparent, 
or if you were a child once, okay, that's all of us, you can imagine the pain that this man is experiencing. He says, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. Verse 18, whenever it seizes him, it throws him down. He foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able. Now Jesus speaks, and he says this. Oh, faithless generation. Here's the contrast between faithlessness and faith. Oh, faithless generation. How long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. Friends, Jesus is lamenting. That's what this is. He has just been in the presence of his father in glory with Moses and Elijah. He has just been reminded of why he's been sent. The disciples witnessed it and are asking him questions all the way down the mountain. And he is descending. The glory that was radiant there is now being confronted with the darkness and evil that's present there. And Jesus' heart is heavy. He is fully God and fully man. He is truly God and truly man. And he's overwhelmed by what he sees. So he laments. His lament is a prayer. And I believe it's intended for the ears of the disciples primarily. Oh, faithless generation. Mark makes the point over and over again to his disciples. You see, but don't see. You hear, but don't hear. That which is true of them is also true of us. We need to heed that warning. And so he laments, oh, faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And the man does. As they brought the boy to Jesus, here's what happens in verse 20. The spirit saw Jesus and immediately it convulsed the boy. And he fell on the ground and he rolled about foaming at the mouth. He asked Jesus, or Jesus asked the father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said from childhood. He goes on to say, it has often cast him into fire and into water to destroy him, to kill him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us, help us. So imagine this man's burden. He's watched his son be convulsed by something. Many would quickly recognize that this sounds like a seizure. In fact, the word in the Greek is katalambano, which means to lay hold of one, to make one one's own. It literally means grabbing and pulling down. And so this evil demon that is in him has consumed him and has often caused him to frail around to the point he falls into fire. So imagine the scarring on this boy's body. Imagine the terror every day as this man wonders, what will today be like with my son? As a parent, we deeply mourn the evil that seeks to attack our children. When we see our, our kids struggling, hurting, when it's maybe just simply rejection or a worldview that's beginning to cause them to think differently about things, when we witness the pain that they're undergoing, we want to do everything that we can to set things right. 
We want to protect them. This father is no different. This is his only son. And so he brings him to the one that he believes and the only one I think that he believes can heal him. I wonder how many things he has already tried to this point. And then he says, if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Now here's Jesus's response. Verse 23, Jesus said to him, if you can, now that's not a question mark. It's an exclamation. Jesus is making the point. He's God. He has the power. If you can, then he says, all things are possible for one who believes. This may be the most abused verse in all of the Bible, the most misunderstood verse in all the Bible. And it certainly exists in our community, meaning Dallas and beyond. It's a very dangerous theology that extracts something from this text out of context, which has done so much harm to so many people. And here's what it is. The dangerous theology is when we take the phrase, all things are possible for one who believes. And then we say to others, if you only believed enough, then your son or your daughter would be healed. If you only believed enough, and what people are saying is this, that there's a faithometer that here on this side is no faith. And at some point, if your faith gets strong enough, there is a moment when it will hit and the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit will say, there's enough faith, deliverance, heal. That is heresy. It is wrong. It is sinful and it is destructive. And I've held the hands of women who've lost children, who were told by those using this verse that if they had just believed, that wouldn't have happened. Friends, that is not biblical. The proof is in the same story. This man didn't have faith that would have gone all the way to the top. And so he cries out, one of the two greatest prayers of faith in the Bible. I love this prayer. It is a prayer of faith. He cries out after Jesus says, if you can, all things are possible for one who believes. Immediately, again, one of Mark's favorite words, immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe. Help my unbelief. I believe. Help my unbelief. And Jesus answers that prayer. This father offers a prayer of faith. To pray, I believe, help my unbelief, is not a contrast of faith. It's the essence of faith. This side of heaven, friend, you will never have enough faith that would cause God to suddenly say, she hit it, he hit it, they hit it. Let's respond. The focus is on the faithfulness of God. Yes, faith matters. In fact, Hebrews says it. Without faith, it's impossible to please God because whoever comes to him must believe that he exists. That's faith in itself. Must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. He does. But the reward is not always a yes 
to everything we ask. If that was true, then Jesus Christ lacked faith. Because Jesus Christ in the garden, and here's the greatest prayer of faith in the whole Bible, I think. He said, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. That's pretty specific. Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Here's the prayer of faith. Yet, not my will be done, thy will be done. And it was the will of the Father told all the way back in the prophets of Isaiah. It was the will of the Father to crush him. That you and I could live forever. Jesus Christ prayed the great prayer of faith. Yet not my will be done, but yours. The man that prayed that prayer, before that prayer spoke to this man who brought his only son to Jesus. If you are able, do something. If you can, Jesus says, all things are possible for one who believes. I believe. Help my unbelief. The man had already exercised faith. He brought his son to Jesus. That journey from wherever he was to the foot of that mountain was already faith. That faith got tested when the disciples who not long before had been able to cast out a demon couldn't do it. How much longer will Jesus remain ascended? Nobody knew. But when he comes down in desperation, while they're fighting the scribes and the disciples, and Jesus asks, what are you talking about? What are you arguing about? He says, enough. I brought my son. They couldn't heal him. Help us, please, if you're able. If I can. Jesus then, in verse 25, says, saw a crowd come running together, and there he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, you mute and deaf spirit. So just imagine that. Imagine this boy again. He couldn't hear what people were saying. He couldn't speak to describe what was going on inside him. Can you imagine that torment? Jesus says, you mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out. And the boy was like a corpse so that most of them said, he's dead. They said that because they believed it. He was lifeless. They believed that this man's only son lay dead. But Jesus, verse 27, took him by the hand. I love when the word says that. You're going to see his hand one day, that nail scarred hand. He took him by the hand and lifted him up and he arose. That is the exact same Greek word for resurrection. That which was dead is now alive. That which was dead is now alive to the glory of God. This took place in the valley, but it was the mountaintop of this young man's life. This young man, we don't know how long he would live, 
but he would certainly encounter more valleys. And both were real. Until one day, one would be real no more. And that is the darkness and the evil. Watching all this happen were the remaining disciples. I assume nine of them were present. They couldn't do what needed to be done, though they had done it before. So verse 28 says, when they had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. The disciples had experienced failure. I believe Jesus was speaking to them in his lament when he said, oh, faithless generation. He knew that they saw, but they still didn't see. He knew that they had heard, but they still didn't hear. That was his message over and over and over again, and it's to us too. This kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. I believe that the disciples were seeking to minister out of a past experience and had forgot that they could never do what only God could do. In their flesh, they could never do what only God could do. In their flesh, not abiding in Christ, not being connected to that divine power, they could not do what divine power is required to do. And so in reliance upon self, they experienced failure. I think knowing the compassion of their rabbi, they felt safe to ask, why could we not do it this time? And Jesus answers the question. The demon was in too deep. This type can only come out through prayer. Friends, we do the same thing. We can rely upon old experiences. We can rely upon flesh. We can rely upon talent and gifts and be disconnected from the source when we are engaging in spiritual warfare. If you are not connected to Christ in that abiding way constantly, then you will fail to fight against these forces. You will struggle in your flesh to do what only you can do in Christ. The application for all who were there that day and for us today is simply this. We will never have enough faith that moves God to the point of acting because he sees how great our faith is. But we're required to have faith. Faith is crying out to the Lord. I believe. I believe you have the power to do it. I believe you can raise someone from the dead. I believe you can heal this disease. I believe you can deliver someone from a demonic possession or oppression. I believe. Yet, this side of heaven, I have my doubts. So help my unbelief. That is an amazing prayer of faith coupled with Jesus' own prayer. Not my will be done, but thy will be done.
And it was. And it will be. And the way God answers prayer always, whether it's a specific yes to something you ask or in his providence a specific no, he's always going to give you himself and he's going to give you the power that is necessary to endure whatever his providence brings to you. This side of heaven, he never promised to take away the pain, but he has promised to give us himself. He will not break that promise. And one day for all who are in Christ, we will never pray the second part of that prayer. We will never pray, help my unbelief. We will only pray, I believe. I believe. I believe. Until then, help my unbelief. And he will. Christ Jesus, the mountain that you ascended is beyond description. The valley that you descended into, so dark. God, in this journey, we feel both those. I pray today that you would lift our eyes up as we close in singing, that we would be still for a moment longer, just encountering once again the truth of your holy word, and that you would press it deep into us, strengthening our our faith, giving us the freedom to know who we are in you and to cry out, I believe, help my unbelief. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.